What's going on, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast. Thank you so much for listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever, however. And, of course, here at GoLongT.com. We greatly appreciate it. Um, hey, quick uh, order of business. Our friends at Fatty Beer have one hell of a deal rolling ahead of the holidays. The Advent Calendar. That's right. 24 hand-selected beers from Fatty Beer Company are all yours. 16-ounce craft beers for each day in December leading up to Christmas. It's just the uh, absolute uh, perfect gift for somebody in your life or, you know, for yourself. Why not? So just visit the website, uh, the Fatty Beer website. Add the Fatty Beer calendar to your cart. Check out. You'll get a text confirming your order, delivery, or pickup location. And then the beer is going to be ready for delivery or pickup after November 18th. It's only $119.99. It's a lot of beer at one hell of a price. And it delivers anywhere in the state of New York and Ohio. So that's Lake Placid, Queens, Huntington, Cooperstown, Corning, Syracuse, Rochester, Albany. Of course, here in Buffalo. And you can just go to one of the locations if you want. My gosh, there's stores everywhere. Buffalo, Ellicottville, Hamburg, Kenmore, Orchard Park, Rochester, Wurlitzer, and Columbus, Westerville, Ohio. Fatty has taken over the beer world, and we cannot thank them enough for fueling this podcast. So Nick and Chris, thank you. Uh, we have a great episode for you. Uh, no Jim, but we did add Chris Howard for this episode, the former Michigan star running back on the national championship team in 1997. We kind of relive his rise from Louisiana to Michigan to winning that championship, playing with Charles Woodson, playing with a young Tom Brady. He was a backup on those teams. And then the NFL didn't go quite as planned. He was a fifth round draft pick who didn't didn't last at Denver, moves on to Jacksonville, and just has some pretty funny stories about Tom Coughlin that I think you'll enjoy. Chris has his own podcast. I was on it myself when I was shilling for the blood and guts, how tight and safe football, which you can get at Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Awesome, awesome podcast that Chris has. I'm just such an open book, sharing stories from his playing days. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So here is Chris Howard on the Go Long Podcast. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Tyler Dunn here, riding solo for this episode. But not really solo. Without Jim Monas, but we upgraded. Out <laughs> is Jim Monas. In is Chris Howard. Man, I'm jacked for this. Uh, Chris, of course, University of Michigan, starting running back. The national title team in 97, leading yep. rusher. Uh, was just rewatching some of your highlights, man. You uh, blistered Penn State in that game. Yeah. Uh, whew. And then drafted by the Denver Broncos, played with the Jacksonville Jaguars for three seasons after that, and has now joined the podcasting world, of course, a couple decades later. I joined Chris's show, Plugged In, which is exceptional. Definitely working into your rotation. We talked a, a lot of blood and guts, so... I was able to trick you into coming on our podcast, Chris. So thanks so much for returning the favor. No, nah, no worries, man. And and trust me, you did not trick me. I was looking forward to 
coming on and uh, talking a little bit of sports, life after sports, all that good stuff, man. Well, me and Jim, we like we 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 have so much '90s nostalgia. I feel like we always come back to like we both watched the the Packers in the '90s, and which you were drafted by the team that beat them in the Super Bowl. But you're you're like right in that wheelhouse, man. So I yeah. remember those those Big Ten games. But take it take it back further than that. When did you really get into football uh, down there in Louisiana? Right, I think you grew up in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah from Louisiana. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. So when I got into uh, playing football, it was obviously Pop Warner, right? And so my parents worked for uh, the city of Kenner, where I grew up at, and they worked for um, the city as far as like they were. Um, supervisors for the parks, right? So each um, subdivision has its own park association. So we lived in Lincoln Manor, somebody lived in Wentwood, someone lived in Galatis. And so each of those subdivisions had their own little league, you know, football team. So, you know, my dad didn't want me to play football, right? As, as a little kid, he didn't want me to play. And so my mom was like, whatever, like this, this boy out here beating older kids in the street, like running racing and stuff like that. Like he's going to play. So she ended up taking me to a rival park association and signed me up for that team. And so we go to play my park association and I'm like killing our team, right? I'm like killing my neighborhood team. And so uh, someone went up to my dad and it was like, um, man, your son is really killing it out there. He's like, what are you talking about? He didn't know <laughs> I was, he didn't know I was playing. He didn't know I was a little kid that was scored like six touchdowns on, on, uh, on our park association team. And so that was kind of like my introduction into football. And then of course he was like, Oh no, well, he's not playing there next year. He's going to come back here and play. And uh, so that amazing. was my introduction to football, man. I remember my mom, uh, patting my pants and forgetting to put in my knee pads. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like crazy stuff, man. But yeah, that was my introduction into, you know, uh, football, Pop Warner. I ended up uh, going to John Curtis High School, which is kind of like a powerhouse high school uh, in Louisiana. They've won like, I don't know, like 30 state championships or something like ridiculous. And um, yeah, man, played high school ball at John Curtis. Got a scholarship offer to University of Michigan. You know, I was, I was, um, it's funny because when I came out, um, I think Fred Taylor was, uh, I don't know if you remember Reebok All-American Gatorade player and all that kind of stuff Well, back in oh, the day. Yeah. I was on the same Reebok All-American team as Allen Iverson. Like, that's how that's how really? crazy good he was. And that's how uh, exclusive that list was, right? It was because you were pulling kids from all over the country. So, you know, I, I get recruited, go to University of Michigan. I, I took visits to Tennessee, um, UCLA. Uh, Michigan, Florida, and I was supposed to go to Notre Dame, but I ended up backing out of that one. So, so yeah, man, that's uh, that's how I got there. Real quick on Notre Dame, so I do a show with um Isaiah McKenzie at here at Go Along as well. And the very first episode, Isaiah said that he was going to go to Notre Dame. He visited, he loved it, and then a coach on staff said, "Well, you know, if you come here." There's no, there's no sexual relations. You can, you can't have sex with anybody. And he said he decommitted like a couple of days later. It's yeah. and I, I, after we put that out there, I, Brady Quinn, Mike Golick Jr. They're all tweeting at me saying, "No, no, that's not, that's not true." It's like, okay, we, we get it. You have sex. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that but was uh, true. That really? was true. Did you hear yeah, the same um, stuff? 
one of my teammates at University of Michigan, Jared Irons, um, he loved Notre Dame. Uh, his, as a matter of fact, his younger brother, um, I can't think of a uh, uh, Grant Irons went to uni- went to uh, Notre Dame, and so Jared, um, he was going to go to Notre Dame as well. Um, and then I think his mom was on a visit with them or something like that. And they mentioned like the whole <laughs> sexual thing. And she was like, and even his mom was like, oh no, that's not going to work for my son. The and mom, then that the was it. Like no. they were, they were out of his top five after that. Like even when your mom doesn't think it's going to work, you got to go with what mom says. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a real thing. But like when I went to the, the issue that I had with Notre Dame was one, I was supposed to fly from my university of Florida trip to Indiana. So there was no break. It wasn't like go back home and then go the following week. I was supposed to leave from Gainesville and go straight to um, South Bend. And of course, the night before they get me hammered, I'm drinking like gold schlager or, you know, whatever that thing that has the gold flakes in it. I don't know. At the time, I think the hardest drink I probably had was like Boone Farms or a daiquiri or something like that. And I'm drinking like this hard liquor at Florida. And so I go in Steve Spurrier's office and I'm like hung over. He could probably smell the liquor on me. He was like, uh, he said, well, Chris, where are you going after this? I was like, well, coach, I'm supposed to fly to Notre Dame. He said, uh, he said, well, you look tired. <laughs> He's being I, kind. Yeah. I was like, I said, well, you know, coach I am. And I was like, be honest with that. Like, I really don't want to go. He's like, well, you don't have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. He's like, I'll call Lou right now. I tell him you're not coming. And I'm thinking like, okay, whatever. And like literally Steve Spurrier picked up the phone. Now I don't know if he actually dialed Lou Holtz or just pretended like he dialed Lou Holtz. And then he, but he was on the phone like, Hey Lou. Yeah. 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 Steve. Yeah. Chris Howard ain't coming. All right. Now you take care. And then hung up the phone. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I, I guess I don't have to go. So, so you're operating like you really did call Lou. I, it, it worked for me. Whether he was really yeah. talking to Lou Holtz or he didn't talk to Lou Holtz. It worked for me. It gave me my out. And I was like, I'm, I don't have to go to Notre Dame now. And on top of that, they wanted me to take, um, I think they wanted me to take the the SAT again or the ACT again. And like, for me, that test was like very stressful. So once I passed, I was done. Like I'm not taking anything. And they were like, yeah, we think you could do better. I'm like, ah, I did better. <laughs> like yeah. the first one was good enough. So it was, and then they wanted me to play fullback. And I was like, yeah. And the sex thing, none of it is lining up with my my character at all <laughs> which is because we think of byu i don't know if uh, it's really out there that notre dame is at least it's it's out they talk about it they, they yeah. don't they don't they frown upon it right um, right but michigan it was and and you were a part of kind of the the, the the renaissance of the of the program in a lot of ways right i mean that that was your class that helped kind of bring the wolverines back all the way up to that national championship yeah, that was um that was a special team because I think, you know, people always love to talk about the 97 team, but I always tell people, you know, 94, 95 and 96 built that 97 team because prior to that, you know, Michigan was going to to the Rose Bowl like it was a rite of passage. You know, they were constantly going to the Rose Bowl. I think they went like 5 years in a row or something like that. So when we get there, we're kind of like the the redheaded stepchild that just kind of came in and messed and messed up everything, right? Because we don't go for the next, you know, three, four years. So it really just came down to, you know, we had a bunch of guys. Like we didn't have a star wide receiver. We didn't have a star quarterback. We didn't have a and I even consider myself, we didn't have a star running back. Only person we really had on the team was Charles Woodson, 
right? But we had a bunch of guys who, at the end of the day, just got tired of getting their asses kicked and got tired of being known as mediocre Michigan, right? And then yeah. because you're, you know, you you you're holding up this this uh, this legacy, right? And so, and of course, you know, you have older players that that come back and visit, and they're looking at you side eye. <laughs> Like, yeah. you ruined everything. You guys suck, you know? <laughs> and and so it was kind of like we just had all this pressure on us. And then plus, Lloyd Carr was, you know, kind of on, on the hot seat because uh, we didn't have a good year, you know, because he was kind of like, they didn't know if they were going to retain Lloyd or go after, um, who was the Colorado coach at the time? A Bill, it was a Bill McCartney. Is that who was the Colorado question. coach at the time? Um I think it was McCartney or I can't think of his name, but they were potentially going to go after him because he had Michigan ties. So that was that 97 year was literally a make or break for all of us. Cause all of us were seniors. So Bill it wasn't McCartney, more football right. and then potentially Lloyd, you know, not being retained after that. So that, that year was, you know, pretty magical. The first time we had won a national championship in, in 50 years. And I'll tell you the, the, the real crazy thing was when you talk about, you know, destiny and fate. Um, you know how they always have guys come back to talk about, you know, what they did their year. Well, the last team that won a national championship um, came and spoke to that 97 team and, you know, shared their stories with us. And they said, you know, we're going to hold our 50 year, I can't remember what it was, but our something year reunion in at the Rose Bowl. And they were like, wouldn't it be nice while we're celebrating our reunion, if you guys were there to, you know, and so we end up doing the, the same thing they did, going defeated, winning a national championship and playing in the Rose Bowl. And we met up with those guys in Pasadena to celebrate their reunion. So it was just, wow, it was just crazy, man. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, 50 years prior, you said, so we're talking some older guys here. Yeah. I mean, look, some of those guys had uh, air tanks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they, they were bringing old. oxygen with them. Yeah, they had like oxygen tanks with them. They were old in wheelchairs. Like that's and when you think about a program like Michigan, that's crazy to think that it had that much time had gone by since they had won a national championship. But it was it was pretty surreal, man. And it was just again going back to you know fate. It was just one of those things. Like it was just time. It's just like one of those teams where the announcers are like they haven't won a game in. 38 seasons. Well, eventually they're going to win one. And that, that one just so happened to be my senior year. Unbelievable. I mean, God, I, that, that Penn state game, I forgot they were number two in the country when you had, that was probably your best game of that season, right? You yeah. ran for well over a hundred yards and yeah, you guys just pound them. Uh, and you're playing in front of a hundred thousand fans. Oh, it was crazy. It was beautiful. It, 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 it snowed. Um, the previous day. So we didn't know what the weather was going to look like. Like, I mean, it snowed bad, but credit to the grounds crew at uh, Penn state, because when they pulled that tarp off the field, it looked like it had just rained. And I mean, the field was perfect. Wow. The grass was cut. It was like a really fast track. So when we went out there, I was like, Oh man, I just felt like we were going to have uh, a good game. And, and then going into that game, of course it was like, they, they, uh, they coined it judgment day because, I think because we were playing Penn State and I think North Carolina and Florida State were playing. It was like one versus two and three versus four, something like that. So it was like to figure out who was going to be in that top tier. And so going into that week, 
uh, Lloyd Carr, who is just a master motivator. Um, we are, we're in our full team meeting room. And so Lloyd Carr comes in and he's got his like stack of papers and he walks up to the, to the podium. He's like, men, he's like, I just got off the phone with Joe Pa, Joe Paterno. And I, and he, I told him I trade Howard, Anthony Williams. I trade them all for uh courtesy. And so you know what he said? No, thank you. And of course, everybody like falls out laughing in, in the, in the full team meeting room. Everyone's laughing except for the running backs that he said he would, <laughs> he would trade <laughs> yeah, yeah. for courtesy. And, uh, but as we leave the, uh, as we leave the, the full team meeting room, he pulled me to the side and he's like, aren't you tired of hearing that courtesy and his shit? I was like, well, yeah, especially coming from you. Right. And, uh, he's like, well, you go out there and you show them who the best back in the Big Ten was. And then again, you know, fate, we just, it was a great field. We had a great day and I had a great game. He kind of knew how to piss you off a little bit too then, right? I mean, that's going to get yeah, you going. He, yeah, he he knew how to push the buttons, man. Again, he was a master. He is a master motivator, knew how to get his guys uh, to play. I think that was the the growth in him as well because, you know, again, being on a hot seat, you know, yeah. being at Michigan, again, losing the, the last four years, um, I think that was part of his growth as well was to learn how to motivate his players but motivate them in a way that you weren't going to discourage them, right? Like it was, you, you, you're not, you're not making, you're not putting the pressure on them. You're getting them um, to rise to the, to the occasion as opposed to putting the pressure on them. So that was, that's one thing he was great at. I don't think people understand how difficult it is for a head coach to deliver a speech to a team, right? It's just because guys, especially at the NFL level, I mean, you can read through phoniness and, and nobody wants a rah-rah, like win one for the Gipper, this corny-ass right. move. Like the stuff out of the movie, that's not real life yet. You do need to motivate. You do have to get guys ready to run through a wall, but it's got to be real and genuine. It's Man, I've talked to players around the NFL. They kind of roll their eyes at their own head coaches saying, yeah, it's it just we're, we're growing adults. There's nothing that he's going to say that's going to get me all excited. But it, if you can pull it off and it's effective, it can it can work, can it? Yeah. Oh, it definitely can. And I think uh, guys like uh, Pete Carroll, I think, uh, is really good at that. I think, um, you know, Mike Shanahan, I think was a, was a coach like that. Uh, I mean, there there are a number of coaches that that had that type of ability, um, you know. But then there are also coaches who, like you pointed out, who really can't because. I mean, at the end of the day, you're also talking to a grown man, right? In the NFL, you're talking to a grown man who has bills, who has kids, who has a wife. Very little is going to to to, to motivate him, other than the fact that this is his career and this is how he pays his bills, right? Yeah. And for for me, I think that was the biggest difference in college was the. You know, when you lose in college, it, it kind of hurts, right? Because you're, 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 you've worked out for this moment, right? You've all the workouts, all the summer conditioning, everything. It's a championship, championship, championship. Well, one loss can really knock you out of your, all your goals that you really set for yourself going into the season. Whereas in an NFL, you could potentially lose three, four games, still win your division, still get to the playoffs, still potentially win the Super Bowl championship. And you get paid. So it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, we lost, but man, look at that check. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It takes this thing off a little bit. Yeah. 
one last one on Michigan, like Charles Woodson has kind of been mythologized, you know, since, since then, you know, decades have passed, but what, what made him special day in and day out when you, when you're playing with this Heisman trophy winning athlete? You know, when Charles came in, he was, um, the, he was, he was a running back. And, um, and I remember thinking like, I'm like, oh man, they bringing in another running back. And then I saw his highlight, you know, his high school highlights. I was like, oh, Jesus, and he's good. <laughs> Right. And then, uh, I remember walking down the hall and, um, running into our defensive coordinator, um, Herm, uh, God, what was Herm's name? I can't remember his name. Running into our defensive coordinator and he was saying that he said, oh, Chris Jim Herman. Herman said, yeah, Jim Herman. <clears throat> and so Jim said, um, he said, Chris, he's like, we got this kid coming in, Charles Woodson. He's going to be better than Ty Law. And I'm like, okay. Ty Law, the, the dudes whose pictures down there on the all American board. Like, you know, first round draft pick for interceptions and, you know, for the Patriots, he's going to be better than that guy that just left. And I'm like, okay, whatever, Herm. Um, But Herm was right in a sense. I mean, Charles just had, he wasn't the biggest, um, but he definitely was fast. And he just had a natural ability that most guys, like you have to teach. Like he didn't have like the smoothest backpedal. He didn't have necessarily the greatest, you know, technique, but his instincts for, uh, for the game and, and understanding like where he was and understanding his ability, uh, was unmatched. I mean, just, just unmatched. And I remember playing a uh, pickup game of basketball with him, uh, in a CCRB on campus, we would go play basketball and I'm guarding him and he's coming down court and I mean, when I try, when I tell you, I tried to like slap the ball out of his hand, like it was like a hack of shack. And he just cupped the ball and went up and windmill dunked it. And I, again, this kid is six foot one, scrawny legs, and windmilled a dunk. And I was like, okay, okay, just a natural ability. I mean, you can see the way he plays. Yeah, I mean, that's how the guy lasts into his late thirties as a defensive back. He can just yeah. anticipate and rely on instincts, and you know. Yeah, he wasn't the strongest the guy. He wasn't a guy that was you were going to see spending hours in a weight room for sure. Like that right. just wasn't Charles. That <laughs> just wasn't right. his thing. He was going to work out, but it wasn't going to be like you know I'm I'm about to go in here and pump a whole bunch of iron. Like that just wasn't his thing. Um, but everything else he just possessed. You know, natural leadership, natural ability, everything that you want in a player rolled into someone who's supremely athletic. Makes for makes for a legend. Yes. Speaking of guys who don't live in the weight room, I mean, Tom Brady was there for a couple of years with you too, right? I, I think, right? He, there was some crossover. He's probably. Yeah. Did you have any clue that the greatest player of all time was, you know, in your locker room? Not, not at all. He was a scrawny little kid from California. <laughs> didn't didn't look like much. Um, but he just like when you see Brady on the sideline, like with that that scowl, he it, he had that. Same thing at Michigan. Like if he didn't like if he threw an interception or uh, incompletion or whatever, he had that same demeanor, same look on his face. But then if he threw like a five-yard hitch route and completed it, he was hyped, like he was amped up. So he was pretty much like the same um, personality that you could see like he was down on himself all the time. Like he was his harshest critic all the time. And I think you still see that till this day. I think that's why he's still playing because it's always unfinished business with him. And that's how he approached it. But he was a, 
you know, he was like, all right, you know, didn't look like much of nothing. Didn't look like he lift weights at all. Looked like he skipped <laughs> lifting weights. Um, but what, you know, the one thing that they didn't judge on Tom was his heart. That made up for everything. Because he would have been just buried on the depth chart early on when you're in there, right? And yeah. we got five, six, seven quarterbacks, and he's yeah. not going to blow anybody away with his stature, his arm strength, his athleticism, any anything that gets you noticed by a college recruiter. He didn't, he didn't have any of that. So yeah. somehow he gets he gets into the door and he just works his way up. Yeah, um, I think uh, someone had to send, um, you know, coming out of high school, I think someone had to, like, send his highlight to someone at University of Michigan to get them to, to look at him. Right. Yep. Right. Um, and, you know, and again, he now he worked himself up. We had a couple guys who had injuries that were um, that were ahead of him. And so he ended up, you know, surpassing those guys. But because some of them had injuries. So but he just he always. He always knew who he was and what his abilities were. And I think Michigan was the perfect program for him because you know, Michigan will always have will always have a good run game. They're going to take their shots, but they're also going to kind of dink and dive, you know, down the field. Uh, and they weren't a a we weren't a program that was looking for a mobile quarterback. That's just Todd Collins. You know, if you look at Elvis Gerbach, you look at all the quarterbacks. They, Jim Harbaugh might have been the most athletic quarterback that right. we had up until um, Denard Robinson. You know, and all those guys when the scheme changed. But up until then, all the quarterbacks were very prototype uh, fixtures, and Tom Brady was that that type of quarterback. So the system was perfect for him. So you get drafted fifth round, Denver Broncos, nineteen ninety eight, and you're thinking, yeah. you know, you're you're a Bronco. You're there with Terrell Davis, right? John Elway, the defending Super Bowl champs. What's going through your head, like when this is your first team and you're in the NFL? Uh, I'm thinking somebody made a mistake. Like something is not, <laughs> I think I skated through the Really? Cracks. You were shocked? You were shocked? Yeah. You know, I was, yeah, man, I was shocked. I had a, um, a teammate of mine who, um, at the university of Michigan, he was, he was older. He was about two years older than I was. And he was like, Mr. Everything. Like he was on the cover of magazines and all two time, all American. I mean, like this guy was the guy. And, um, I remember watching the draft and he didn't get drafted. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, if he didn't get drafted, I better start going to class. Like, because clearly the league is at another level that I'm just not not prepared for. But my senior year was 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 a good year. And I think I showed enough that allowed me to to get drafted. And going to the Broncos was just a blessing in disguise. Because when I um met with the running back coach because, you know, at the combine, they interview you. Um, they want to know your personality, who you are. And I remember meeting with the, the running back coach. And um, I remember at the end of the end of our conversation, he said, listen, I got to be honest with you. He's like, I don't think you're being real with me. I don't think you're being authentic with me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, well, what am I, this is an interview, right? Like, what am I supposed to be here? <laughs> Aren't I supposed to be saying the things that you want to hear me say? Like, you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not getting drafted by Denver and my but my best meeting was with uh was with the Pittsburgh Steelers huh. and um and that's who I thought I was going to get drafted by I thought I would probably go maybe because they really liked me I thought I'd get drafted probably third round but I slipped to the fifth to the Broncos and it was um it was an awesome experience um I was man the camp I was killing it 
Like I was just, because a lot of the things that they were doing, I was doing at the University of Michigan. So it was easy for me to pick up a lot of the the blitz packages and understanding coverages and understanding, you know, scheme and disguise and stuff like that and cutbacks. So I was already doing that at the University of Michigan. So I was already ahead. Yeah, I was already ahead of, you know, uh, most guys. And I think I ended up getting um, hurt. I ended up tearing my, my, um, my calf muscle, like the last practice before preseason. And, um, you know, of course, but you know, you want to try to, you you want to try to come back. And that was kind of my mistake of trying to come back too early, but Denver at the time had, uh, Terrell Davis, uh, Vaughn Hebron, who was like a, a kickoff specialist return specialist and Derek love, who was a veteran, uh, who played at San Francisco. So those three guys were your, your, um, were pretty much your, your tailbacks. Then we had a couple, couple fullbacks. Um, it was just crazy. I think Anthony Lynn, who's the head coach, who was the head yeah. coach. Of, oh, he was a, one of our, that's how he's old a friend of the my, program. Actually, That's how yeah. old my ass is that when <laughs> Anthony Lynn, I played yeah. with Anthony yeah. Lynn, it was one of our fullbacks and um, worked with my co-host, to, by the way, in Buffalo, they were, uh, they yeah. were, Jim was with the bills. He was the, well, the interim head coach, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, he was a cool, really cool cat. Um, but I tried to come back, had a horrible um, preseason game, but because, you know, I was um, hadn't practiced. So I, I remember going into the game, and I, I swear, I hadn't fumbled, and I don't know how long. Fumbled the ball like three times. And Bubby Brister was our backup, was our backup quarterback, and he talked to me on the side. I was like, don't worry about it. And so I understood the decision that the organization had to make because you had three veteran uh, running backs. One was a return specialist. So when they released me, they wanted me to stay to be on practice squad. But my agent at the time was like, we're getting calls from other teams. They really want you to come down. And they were like, you know, Jacksonville is calling. Uh, they really want you because uh, James Stewart, I think, had blew out his had blew out his knee. They drafted Fred Taylor, but Fred Taylor – um, hadn't really come on yet. And Tavian Banks from Iowa were, was actually the guy who was like, I think he had like two 200 yard rushing games or something. Like he was killing it. And so they, they needed another running back. And so I was like, all right, I'll go down there and went down there. Of course, the, that year, Denver wins their second Super Bowl. I'm still mad at my agent about that, um, which is Could why he was no longer my agent. Um, <laughs> bad call there. And so, so Denver I go down was willing to, to put you on the practice squad and just kind of let you develop then at that time, if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Okay. They were, yeah, that, that was the plan was like, stay on practice squad. You'll, you'll heal, right. You'll, you'll have time to recover. You have time to learn the system. You'll have time to get acclimated. Um, because the, the, what I didn't have was the foresight to realize that guys like Derek Lavelle and, um, Vaughn, uh, Vaughn, he- was it Vaughn Hebron, I think it's yeah, Vaughn Hebron. Yeah or older guys, right? So they didn't have much tread left on on the wheels, not to mention however much salary they were making. But I didn't understand that, which my agent should have understood that part. And the that. scheme, I mean, my God, you had Orlandis Gary, Mike Anderson, like whoever was running back for the next six, seven years had a thousand yards. This is making me feeling even worse, Tyler. Thank I'm you. Sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, but no, it was, um, and so I ended up going to uh, Jacksonville. So I go down there, I go from Mike Shanahan, who was a great coach, uh, great personality guy, um, great 
team, uh, kind of a great team coach, Tom Coughlin, which we all know the story of, of Tom Coughlin. So I, and who's again, is who is a great coach. Tom Coughlin is a great coach. And it also is a great man. Also just very rough around the edges. Like we talked before, like not necessarily win one for the Gipper kind of guy. He's a hard and, ass, uh, right? I mean, he's old school. He's old school, just, right? Bill Parcells. I think he's under that, that tree. Um, and so I get down. Hold on one second, Tyler. My dogs are, can you hear my dogs barking? Hmm. Okay. Oh, good. Good. Sorry. We, we, um, we welcome all the ambient noise here. Oh. We've got crying kids and everything on here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so I get down to Jacksonville and like, I, I go, have a physical that night and then we have a game in like two days. So I, um, I, the next morning we have a walkthrough practice. I have just got my equipment, just got my jersey and stuff, walk outside to the practice field, and I'm standing next to the, the offensive huddle, standing next to the quarterbacks, and Coughlin is right there, and I'm standing there, and he looked down, and he looked at my socks. He's like, you know, that's a $5,000 fine. And I'm thinking, like, what? He's like, those socks aren't Jaguar issued. I'm like, this is a walkthrough. He's like, yeah, that's a $5,000 fine. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking he's joking. I get to my locker room after practice. There's an envelope that has confidential on it. That's when I first learned like what confidential means in the NFL. That means a fine. That means you've been fined. And I opened it up. That? I got $5,000 for wearing low cut socks at a walkthrough practice. No, I was like, no, I'm like, dude, I'm a real. fifth round that draft pick. I can't afford to lose five thousand dollars. <laughs> so he, so he notices it. The head coach notices it. Yeah, says that, and I'm thinking, you know, when he's telling you that, you might be thinking, okay, that's a warning, strike one. It, the the rule is unbelievably stupid. I, I'm not gonna do it. I guess, even though it's dumb. And you, and, but you get fined. Like he follows yeah. through. He finds you. He followed through, he fined me, and he was he was serious, man. Like when it came to if you were uh what did he used to say? He used to say something like if you're if you're five minutes early, you're five minutes late, or something like yeah. that. He would like, I mean, fine guys. I mean it, everybody was getting fined, and that was my my first find and my first and my last. I have to say that. But yeah, man, it was Jacksonville was was different. And I just ended up doing a, a finishing up an interview with, uh, with Jimmy Smith, who was, um, just got inducted into the, uh, Jackson State Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame and entered the, uh, Ring of Pride Hall of Fame for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just did an interview with him and we were talking about, talking about that kind of stuff. But Jacksonville was different because it was kind of like the, and the outcast of players that really nobody wanted, right? Like if you look at Keenan McCardell, Keenan McCardell had, played on several different teams, been cut by several different teams, but he ends up becoming an all pro in Jacksonville. Same thing with Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith uh, got drafted in the second round to Dallas Cowboys. Didn't catch a pass in two years, got cut, goes to Philadelphia, gets cut, goes to his mom, makes a a scrapbook and sends it to, to Jacksonville. That's how he gets a, a tryout with them. And now he, and then he goes on from there to a 12 year career seven straight 1000 receiving yards or something something insane but it was it was just a team of guys who were again like nobody wanted right and we had a lot of success down there in Jacksonville 
You're 90. I mean, you were on the 99 team that, that went 14 and two. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was the best team in the league. It just was a matter of beating Tennessee. I think they had your number, right? Man, we could not get past them for anything, man. It was, there was like, they, Tennessee was like our kryptonite. Yeah. We couldn't, no matter what happened, we could not get past them for, for anything. And they were just, um, they schemed us up perfectly. You know, uh, they knew what we wanted to do. They were very physical. And, um, and, and honestly, if I'm looking back at it, we, we really just got punked. We just really got out physical when we lost those games, you know, um, you know, making mistakes, you know, penalties, jumping off sides, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you probably wish you were able to have a long, you know, eight, nine, 10 year career, but what, what went into kind of walking away from, from the game after a few years? Um, you know, it was, um, honestly, it was just realizing that, you know, some guys are great high school players, but they're not great college players. Some guys are great college players, um, aren't, but aren't great pro players, right? Because there's, there's levels to it. And I think for me, it was just realizing that, like, I felt like I, I peaked, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, coming from the high school that I came from, you know, I played, you know, baseball, basketball, track, AAU basketball, you know, AAU, you know, travel team baseball. So I was doing a lot of sports ever since I was like a very little kid. So for me, I think I got to a point to where it just felt like I was burnt out. And then at the same time, the league was just at just at a, such a different level from an athletic standpoint. You know, I was, you know, I remember uh, I was telling somebody the story the other day, uh, one of my teammates in Jacksonville, he was a, uh, an Olympic sprinter. Like this dude had qualified for the Olympics. He was like the 10 flat guy. And I remember us being on special teams together. And as we're watching the, um, the special teams tape with our, our special teams coach, I remember my special teams coach, like, you know, he's got the pointer, right? He's like, he's pointing at the thing. He's like, Chris, you got to get up here with Alvis. I'm like, He's an Olympic sprinter. How the hell? There's unless you put a human slingshot yeah. on me, that's the only way I'm going to get up there and keep up with him. But that was like the for me, it was just the that's that's how big a gap the talent and the speed is of the game. And unless you're going to be like the top tier of those guys, right? Making the big money with you know getting the sprite commercials, you're really just a journeyman, right? You're really just out. You're just a body that they're yeah. going to use until, and then it's a revolving door and they're going to bring in somebody else younger who can do just, just a good a job as you for far less. So it was kind of coming to that realization that like one, I'm burnt out Two, I've peaked. I'm not getting any faster. I'm not going to get any stronger, but that, but the game is still going to do all those things. That's tough. I mean, that's gotta be a tough realization just to realize, damn, like I, I just, I, I can't, be an elite running back at this level and dominate. I mean, granted, if you stayed with Shanahan in Denver and, you know, in oh, yeah. that scheme, then you're probably stringing together right. a few thousand yard seasons. <laughs> right. Exactly. Could have I mean, made it to another contract. Known. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's hard for all guys to just kind of look in the mirror and be like, all right, that, that's it. I got, I got to do something else. And yeah. yeah. Was it hard? I mean, how did you transition into life after football? Um, you, you know, yeah, it was, it was definitely hard because, um, because even when you think you're ready, you're not ready. You haven't really, um, you haven't really put a plan in, into action. And and Jimmy Smith said this perfectly on our podcast. He's like, I wasn't worried about a plan B 
Because if I take time away from plan A to put into plan B, then I'm not putting everything that I need to have in plan A to make it. And that was sure. his, that was his outlook. And I think that's kind of, you know, perfect. Like we, we, we always know that the game is going to end, but we're not always prepared for when it does end. And sometimes it ends a lot sooner than we anticipate. So for me, the, the transition was, um, you know, I've been a football player all my life. Well, since I was, you know, seven years old, that's what I've identified as. So you go from seven years old to 24, 25, or however old I was, that's your identity, right? So once you're, you're done, who are you, who are you after that? And a lot of us don't know because that's just, that's just what we've identified as. So, you know, I always say that it's kind of like being lost in the woods until you find your way, until you find your way out. And a lot of guys, you know, if you think about it, a lot of when, when guys retire and they're looking for that, that next step where you're so far removed from literally the the real world, right? Where you got to put together a resume and all that kind of stuff. And then you got to explain your work history, right? To whatever person. And they're like, so what have you been doing for the last, you know, six, seven years? And you're like, uh, okay, well, Jacksonville Jaguars running back experience. I know how to cut back. I'm good at pass (laughs) protection. Like you, so you're, you're very limited when you're, you know, um, kind of cast out to the, to the real world. So again, guys kind of lose their way. Don't really know which way to go. And there's no one to, um, to show you that path. You just kind of have to figure it out. I honestly don't know what you've been up to since then. You know, we just kind of reconnected for the first time, not reconnected, but um, when we talked about blood and guts on your show, but uh, I I don't know what's like the cliff notes of kind of what you've been up to the last couple decades. Yeah. So I, um, it was funny. So once I was done, I ended up doing an internship at, um, at Fox. This was when Fox sports was Fox sports net in, yeah. in California. And so I ended up doing an internship at Fox sports net. And I remember I was like cutting like highlights for the sports announcers and writing scripts, um, for them. And I remember like, they were like, okay, at the end of your internship, you know, this is what we're going to offer you. And it, it may have been like $30,000. But of course, you know, you coming from playing in NFL, you're like, how am I going to buy bottle service with $30,000? Like, like, you know, like that's, you can't buy bottles with $30,000. So I ended up going, um, into, uh, public relations, uh, for a few years, uh, worked in entertainment finance for a few years because I was living in California, um, moved to Atlanta 2009. And so I've been working in, in the entertainment industry, um, developing, uh, a TV series packaging stuff and trying to sell them to the network. So I've been working in entertainment for like the last 15 years. Wow. What TV series? So we have, we have one right now. I, I can't really say, but we okay. have, a, we have one that's a, a high, um, high end real estate show um, that's taking place in, in New York. We're working on a couple of crime series right now. Um, but yeah, man, we've been developing stuff for, for a long time, what we typically do is we look, we talk to a lot of the networks and we find out what they're looking for, what they're buying, what they're not buying. And then we will go out and let's say, for example, TLC says we're looking for something in the baby space. We'll go and we'll find, you know, someone in Houston who is um, a high end baby luxury concierge and they have their own business and they do all these crazy things with their crazy clients. So we'll go 
and then build a show around that person, package it up and then take it to the network and say, hey, is this what you're looking for? They'll be like, they'll say either yes or no. And then if they say yes, we sell it. And they say no, we go to the next network and keep doing. You're able to kind of scratch that competitive itch then I'd imagine, right? You're you're trying yeah. to, you're, that's got to be a competitive field. Like put, it it, it is a, a very competitive field because every time Dick and Harry thinks they have a great idea. And, and a lot of times it's the same idea that you have. It's just really all about who can get their idea there first, right? Who can get their pitch seen first. And it really is a, a relationship, um, a relationship business. I've been fortunate because a lot of the people that I do business with went to university of Michigan. So a lot of the alumni run networks, you know, they're producers, they're directors, they're running some of these companies. So literally the first 30 minutes of my calls are like, dude, I was there in 97 when you guys won it all. What do you need? <laughs> like, <laughs> Lean so into it, baby. Lean I'm into like, it. Oh man, that was awesome. So let me tell you about this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You better be milking that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it works. I love it. And then you're obviously plugged in uh, to the NFL today with, with the pod and with yeah. being a fan. I mean, how... um. I guess, is there a specific team that you watch more than any other? Is it just the league in general? And, and how did the podcast kind of get rolling for you? You know, uh, it's funny because of that, because of that blocking back there, a friend of mine works for um, podcast one and uh, he and I, he actually went to university of Michigan also. And so he and I did a podcast a couple of years ago called um, the player and the fan. And we were covering all of Michigan sports, you know, Michigan football, baseball, softball. I mean, everything. So we had that podcast going for a couple of years and then it was kind of like, it was, it was getting kind of, um, it was getting toxic because I mean, you know, like fans, right. Especially when you're not winning, it's, it's, you know, they're going after the the players, the teams, the kids, you know, they, oh. they want you to talk about, they want you to talk bad about them. And I'm like, it's being, being a former player and being one of those kids that you probably cursed out, <laughs> you know what I mean? When we were, when we sucked, like I can't, I can't really put myself in that position because I know what those kids are going through. And so we, we did the podcast for a number of years. We shut it down. And then when he transitioned to working for podcast one, he's like, Hey, I want to, you did such a good job on that. I want to give you an opportunity on this one. So I was like, cool, let's do it. And so I, I'm not really a, like, this is my favorite team kind of guy, Yeah, but I, I love, I love an entertaining game like just just give me a good game and because of the podcast now i have to watch a ton of sports <laughs> so like us you, you root for the story not the team right that's what i try exactly to, people exactly. ask me all the time who's your favorite team I, I mean i stopped having favorite teams a long time ago but you just you just root for a great story it might be it might be thrilling chilling yeah. good bad and it, you just want yeah. like you just said entertaining yeah. Yeah. The last time I had a favorite team, Marcus Dupree played for the New Orleans Breakers. Like that's the last time I, I'm going way back. <laughs> I love it. We almost had him on the show. I was talking to Marcus uh, on LinkedIn like a year ago. I just watched his documentary. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this guy's fascinating. I never knew any of that. Um, but yeah, we, we should get, we should all get together for a show sometime. You can yeah, tell him. Yeah. yeah. Listen, man, that, that'd be awesome. Like, like, listen, I, I love some Marcus Dupree back in the day, man. That was like, I was like my guy. The best that never was, I think, was the name of the doc, right? I mean, yep. he was unstoppable. Unbelievable, just a big freak of nature with world class speed. I mean, he was he was um he was like Bo Jackson. 
You know, he was like that kind of, he was that kind of guy. He was that kind of built running back, like Bo Jackson or Herschel Walker, um, you know, basically Mack trucks with speed. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Well, holy cow, Chris, that was awesome. Uh, we'll get, we'll give us a, a Super Bowl prediction. We haven't really talked about the game today, Ooh. but I mean, is, who, who do you like? Man, I mean, hey, listen, I, I've been on the Eagles for, for a while. Like I really liked their, Offseason moves. I think everything that they did to really put weapons around uh, Jalen Hurst was just uh, very smart. And it, and it just all the moves that they made were for to win a Super Bowl this year, not not to grow, not to build, not to do anything, but to win a Super Bowl this year. And I think with everything that they've been able to do offensively, Jalen Hurst improving week to week, he looks more comfortable. Um, he looks in uh, better control of everything. And their defense is playing extremely well. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to call the Eagles. I don't even know if it's going out on a limb, man. You're right. They're just do- they're dominant in the trenches, and they uh, I don't know what I what I like about the Eagles. They didn't let ego get in the way, right? It's just they the Carson Wentz deal backfires. That's all right. Draft a quarterback, second round, mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts. Well, and you know what? He doesn't do this this or that well, but. He's unbelievably athletic. He's built like a Mack truck. We'll just put an offense that works for him around that skill set. Right. And then he's on that rookie deal. So let's AJ Brown, you know, let, let's go buy some players. Let's, let's bring it. Let's load up. Yeah. I mean, if you're not loading up with your roster, when you have a rookie quarterback or a quarterback on a rookie deal, what are you doing? You know what I mean? You better yeah. be spending. You better, yeah. Otherwise, why, why even showing up in the morning? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that to me, signified that Philadelphia was serious, right? And and that they, they were going to make a serious push this year. And I just loved all the offseason moves that they made, and I think it's worked out for them. I thought the same thing about, you know, Miami. Um, yeah. You know, same thing with Miami, like all the offseason moves that they made, very similar to what the Eagles did. Obviously, you know, the, the Tua situation, I think, kind of derailed them. Um, But, you know, he's picked, kind of picked back up where he left off. But, yeah, if I had to go with a prediction, I'm going to go with the Eagles. Beautiful. Well, everybody out there, make sure you add plugged in with Chris Howard on podcast one to the rotation. As you just heard, this this is a man with a lot of knowledge, a lot of stories to share. I wish we could just talk for hours on end, man. That was that was <laughs> phenomenal. But thanks so much. Yeah, man. Anytime, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. You got it.